Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, guys, would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Now, Paul said in the beginning of this chapter, knowledge makes arrogant. It puffs you up. But love builds you up. It edifies. It's the best to understand in verse 2, he says, if any man supposes he knows anything, you don't know yet as you ought to know. We're just all works in progress in what we know, and hopefully in our knowledge of the Lord. But Paul started this chapter by saying, now concerning idols. Now remember, Paul, in the beginning of chapter 7, said that as to the things you wrote to me about, here's some answers. And Chapter 8 really shouldn't have a distinction. There shouldn't be a break because it's still a continuation of Paul answering their questions. And now they're coming to questions about, is it okay to eat at the corner diner that has an idol in it that they do really good ribs? If you grew up in Corinth, where at different places of worship, they actually became known for maybe the ribs is at one place over here. They got the really good steaks over here. In their culture... Some of them actually worship that god or that goddess. Now, when I say god or goddess, I'm saying with a little g, not high deity, but men's idea of gods. And Paul's going to point this out in just a minute. The question was, am I allowed to go eat some meat over at Aphrodite's temple because they're having ribs today and they always have it cheap and it's really good. If you grew up eating this all the time and now you become a Christian, do all of a sudden you say, I don't want to have any more ribs? Just because you gave your heart to Christ? No, I mean, the ribs still smell good and you still want to go eat. And someone wrote a question, am I allowed to go eat over at Aphrodite's temple? Or can I go over here to Zeus's hangout and have some steak? And Paul is going to give a perspective that is, is so mature. He learned it from Jesus. I'll show you it in a minute. But he is going to explain that it's not about the food. It's about our fellow brother. Because the first command is love God all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second command, like unto the first, is love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul just said, knowledge isn't really king. Love is. We have to continue to grow in love, not just to God, but to our neighbor. So even when it comes to the dining at a temple, understand the perspective has to be looked at through a filter of love. Do you love your fellow brother? And I'll show you how he points it out. Let's read this together. Look at verse 4. It says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. You know, in the book of Leviticus, it says that the Lord thy God is one God. There's only one God, creator of the heavens and the earth. The entire universe is God the Father, with a capital G. Some people ask me, why is there but one God with a capital G here. And then if you read the next verse, verse 5, it says, For even if there are so-called gods with a little g, that means they're not true deity, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and there are many lords. There are many things that people make into their gods, many things that master them as lord over their lives. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things we exist for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, they eat food as if it were sacrificed to the idol. And their conscience 
being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We're neither worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. But take care, lest this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You know, they could have sacrificed this animal to their little god with a little g. And it's nothing because it's no god at all. In Paul's mind, it could have been a rock. He didn't care if it was a carving of a statue of some god or goddess they made up. Because it's no god in his mind at all. There's only one god. And that animal is still good meat. And so he had no trouble with eating it. But Paul says, not everyone has this knowledge. And so he says, take care that it's a liberty that you have a freedom to eat that meat. If your conscience doesn't bother, remember when you studied in Romans, if you can eat it in faith, it's not sin, it's okay. But even in Romans 14, it says, be careful that you don't eat anything or drink anything that stumbles your brother. Do we love our brother enough to not eat or drink something in front of him so that they would not be stumbled? If you're a meat eater and you're going out to lunch with a vegetarian, a known vegetarian, I mean a true hardcore vegetarian, and you know that it will really bother them that you order a hamburger, do you care more about your little palate to eat that burger today than you care about your brother or sister being stumbled? Can you not just have a salad or some vegetarian option for one meal? Now, I know some of you, God, I don't want to do it. But we're talking about love your neighbor as yourself. We don't want to stumble our neighbor. Jesus said, if you stumble even the least, the littlest of ones, it's better for you to get a millstone and make it into a puka shell necklace, because that's what it is. It's a big stone like this, small ones, about six feet across, about this high, big hole down the middle, little hole on the side, goes down underneath, big spot for a huge beam to hang out, and they hook the ox into it and the oxen walks in circles, or the mule, and pushes the stone in a circle, and they drop the grain down the outer hole, and it goes underneath the stone, and just from the sheer weight of this thing, being ground across on another piece of stone, the grain slips underneath, and it squishes it, and it comes out the edge as fine flour. That's what a millstone is. Now, Jesus says, it's better if you get one of those and just hook it up to your little puka shell necklace, and go swim in the deepest part of the ocean than it is that you stumble the least of my brethren. Jesus think it's important not to stumble somebody? You put a 6,000-pound stone on your neck and try to swim, guess where you're going? Down. Jesus said it would be better for you to do that than to stumble your brother. I mean, how many of you heard those words of Jesus before? You heard that you're not supposed to stumble your brother, right? But people don't really picture the ramifications. Jesus is saying it's better to go swim with that necklace on and be drugged to the deepest part of the ocean than it is for you to stumble your brother. He means don't stumble your brother. It's plain. Don't stumble your brother or sister. But Paul had this same answer to the church at Corinth because they were like, oh, can we eat at the temple over there? And Paul's like, you can if it doesn't stumble your brother or sister. But not everyone has this understanding. Look what he says. For if someone sees you, verse 10, that have knowledge, dining in the idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak? Now, if he's got the same understanding, like, hey, it's, it's no real God at all. It doesn't matter. It's just some meat. It doesn't defile me. 
I see you eating meat, it doesn't bug me. But if he's weak, if he sees you eating in the idol's temple, will his conscience be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? Paul says, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, this is a conviction I don't know if I have. I mean, I like my ribs and my steaks. And if you're vegetarian, I'm not saying that to stumble you. I'm just saying I do. I don't eat them sacrificed to idols. Paul, he has the right heart. I need to work on this. He says, if food would cause my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat again. For me, I look at it like if it causes you to stumble, I won't eat it in front of you. I'm still working on never eating it again. Do you see the heart of Paul? This is a guy who understands the necklace with the millstone analogy. If it would cause my brother to stumble, would I really be willing to stop it? Because if you're doing something that stumbles your brother or sister and you know it, what does it say in Hebrews? If we continue to sin willfully, knowing that we're doing something wrong, what awaits us but terrifying expectation of judgment? Man, you know it's coming. Because when you do something wrong and you know you're not supposed to do it, you don't even need anyone to tell you because the Holy Spirit keeps saying, don't do it. And you keep doing it. And you're like, don't do it. And you keep doing it. And you keep feeling bad about it. But you know what? You're supposed to feel bad about it because his spirit is trying to say, stop it before you stand before God. Because if you go on sinning willfully, someday, whether you like it or not, we're all going to stand before God. Turn with me to Romans 14. This is really the best sister passage I know. In Romans 14, if you are a meat eater, you can't judge the vegetarian either because verse 1 says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he might eat all things. Another man, he has faith only that he eats vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat does not get to judge the one who does eat. For God has accepted him. By the way, that means you vegetarians don't get to judge me because I eat meat. Because God still accepts me. In fact, I'm going to show you in Mark's gospel in just a second in chapter 7 what the words of Jesus are concerning this whole thing. Is Jesus really tripped out about what goes into our mouth? Let me just jump to it real fast. I'll come back to this. Mark chapter 7, verse 14, And the crowds came to him, and Jesus began to say to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a man which can defile him if it go in him. But the things which proceed out of a man are that which defile the man. And then Jesus cries, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 17, When they had left the crowd, the disciples came to him and they questioned him. What was that you were telling about that parable about not what goes in, you know, but what comes out? And Jesus said to them, Are you so lacking of understanding? Listen to the words of our Lord. He says to them, Don't you understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him. Whatever you put in your mouth, it can't defile you, he says, because it does not go into the heart, 
but it goes into your stomach. That doesn't defile you. You know why? Because it only went through your digestive system. Did it go into your heart? Did that food, that thing you put in your mouth, go into your heart? He says, no. The source of our defilement is the heart. Jesus goes on, he says, because he goes in his stomach and is eliminated. And then in parentheses, you might have this written in your Bible. Thus he declared all foods clean. Just so you know, I always bank on the words of Jesus. If he says all foods is clean, then I have to trust him. Because he's actually not concerned about what goes in here. Because that's not what defiles. But he goes on, he says, that which proceeds out of the man... That's what defiles a man. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Fornications, that's sleeping together outside of marriage. Thefts, murders, adulteries, that's sleeping outside of your marriage vows with someone else. Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of those things are in the heart. And they come out and all these evil things proceed from within the man. And that's what defiles a man. Did you realize that it's all those evil things in our heart that are really the defiling thing of our lives, not the food we put in our mouth? But I submit to you, how many of you have been exposed to certain groups of, I don't even want to call them sects of Christianity, they're more like cults. But the first thing they ask is, do you eat this or not eat that? Do you drink this or not drink that? They measure their holiness on what goes in the mouth. Somehow they miss Mark 7. All the cults just ignore whatever they don't like to read. I believe in reading you the whole counsel of God. Every chapter, every verse, the whole book. Because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. I want you to be free. And to me, this is very freeing, that all things are clean in the sight of the Lord. The Lord doesn't care this here. He cares in the heart. That's where it counts, here. I got to clean up my heart. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Remember after he was caught in sin with Bathsheba? Had her husband killed? And the prophet came to him? And God worked him over. But he relented. You know, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. That's a beautiful thing, to be a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord, they go to and fro all around the whole earth, just looking for one person whose heart is towards the Lord. You know why? Because it says, because God desires to strongly support that person. Now, Romans 14, Paul went on and he said, guys, when it comes to eating meat or not eating meat, you don't get to look at your brother and judge them whether they eat or don't eat. That's not your job. Who is the only person we're supposed to examine? Yourself. Forget about your spouse or your neighbor. We're going to examine our own hearts and get them right. Get them clean. Back to Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or he falls. And he will stand for the Lord. I love this verse. The Lord is able to make him stand. Don't be judging your brother over what he puts in his mouth. God will make him stand. Now one person regards one day above another, 
Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Do you know that in the Church of Rome, some were arguing over what day of the week should we worship God? Oh, it's the Sabbath, Shabbat. We only worship on Saturday. You people who worship on Sunday took the mark of the beast. That's what they teach. Really, seriously. There's a whole group that hold to that perspective. I think they're completely wrong. And they forgot to read Romans 14, verse 5. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats, he does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. He who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Does this sound familiar? Because he wrote this to the church at Corinth. Don't you guys know your body belongs to the Lord? Therefore, glorify God with your body. We just went over this. This is why this is a perfect sister passage, Romans 14, to what we're studying in Corinthians today. Verse 9, And he lived again that he might be both the Lord of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? And again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11. This comes from Isaiah 45. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. Isaiah 45, 23. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this that we not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. You know, how about we just make a determination that we don't try to stumble our brother? Would that be good for our church this week? We just say, okay, everybody, let's just try to not stumble our brother. Let's look out, not for ourselves, but for others. Let's don't put a stumbling block in their way. Paul says, I know, and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul knew. In the knowledge of the Lord, nothing is unclean. What about the guy that it bugs his conscience? I can't eat that because it was an animal and I took a life and it really makes me have trouble. Well, guess what? You don't get to eat it. Because to him who thinks it's unclean, what does it say? It is unclean. Because of food, Paul says your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not about meat nor drink, but it is about three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved to men. So then we pursue these things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Now, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Does Paul think that stumbling your brother is a bad idea? He said it to the church at Corinth. He said it to the church at Rome. 
But he goes on and he tells us, verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts, he is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. If you can't do it with a clear conscience, don't do it. It's not worth it. Because that clear conscience thing is a very, very healthy thing for your overall well-being. I'm talking the whole package deal here. When you do stuff against your conscience, does it have an effect on your body at all? Yeah. When you're doing something you know you shouldn't do, but you do it anyway, there's like weird little biofeedback things got put into your body that you start getting a little stomach upsetness, a little bit of heartburn, the backwash, the ulcers begin. You do stuff that you can't do with a clear conscience and your mind is troubled by it. You don't sleep right. You don't get enough sleep. Life doesn't look as good. Paul said he had a clear conscience. You know what they did? They took him outside of the city and stoned him. Threw rocks at his head till he was dead and threw him over the wall. And then God said, get up, you're not done. And resurrected him. He had to go on preaching. Not a nice thing to say you have a clear conscience to some folks. They don't always like it. The reason I have a clear conscience is because I took all of my sin and said, God, please remove it. You're the one that truly can clean my soul. And he goes, no problem. It's the guy who hangs on to his sin going, it's not sin. I'm allowed to do this. It's my favorite thing. It's my pet sin. I don't call it sin. It's just my pet thing. But if your habit is something that would cause your brother or sister to stumble, you need to stop that habit. Paul said he would not even drink wine in Romans 14. Did you see that? I won't eat meat nor drink wine if it causes my brother to stumble. Yeah, I have freedom to have a drink. But not if it's going to stumble my brother. Who cares? I'll just not drink it. There's still other options. Water, tea, juice. What if it stumbles him? You have a glass of milk. No milk. Seriously, people are stumbled by so many weird things today. I wish I could teach him the words of Jesus that all things are clean and it's not what goes in here that defiles you. In fact, if you wouldn't mind highlighting that verse in Mark 7 so that you can tell your friends in case they should throw in your face, oh, you shouldn't eat that. Just say, look, it's not what goes in that defiles you. Mark 7, verses 18 and 19. If you want all the way down to 18 to 23, you can give them the words of Jesus because you might run into someone who's really tripped out about what goes in here instead of what comes out of here. You had not run into those folks? You need to know Mark 7, the words of Jesus. And just take them to it. You don't even have to say, what does Jesus say about this? My pastor taught about this right here. Have you read this? You know that some of the people who hold to those things don't even know this passage exists. It's like there's blinders on their eyes. They read right over it. And you go, um, but see... In my Bible, the translation, words of Christ in red. Notice the color right here. All red. Who's talking? Jesus. Can I count Jesus' words as authority? Is this count? It sure does. And this is golden. Because this frees you. 
It frees you from making stupid religious excuses, trying to deal with stuff on the outwardly. When, like Jesus said, he looked at the religious leader, said, "You guys are whitewashed tombs, sepulchers. On the outside, you're all clean, but inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Man, you got death inside you. You're like a grave." I want life inside me. And those evil thoughts, those fornications, those slanders, those envies, that foolishness, all that stuff that comes from the heart, that's the stuff Jesus wants to deal with. He doesn't care about the stuff that goes in my mouth and that goes through my stomach. That's not the focus. But why do so many groups make that the focus? Have you ever been hit with them? They come to your door? What day do you worship on? What do you eat? It's like you guys need to read a few passages. Mark 7, Romans 14. And today, 1 Corinthians 8. Just maybe make a little note. Just in case. Sometimes it might help you to put a note over at Mark 7 to turn to 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14. Then flip to the other one and put the note to turn back to the other. Just so you remember the three places your odds improve if you write it in all three spots. If you just remember where one is, that'll trigger the other spots and you'll be able to say, hey, here, read this. Found this. What do you think about that? Because let's keep the focus what it is, the heart. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.